Welcome to the Eploribus Cast. I'm your host, Sophia Nelson. Today is Wednesday, April 8th, 2020. And welcome to our special Wednesday Wisdom section. Uh, This week is Holy Week, the week leading up to Easter Sunday. For Christians all around the globe, this is a sacred spiritual time. Perhaps now more than ever, as we are in the midst of a global pandemic that has ravaged Europe, parts of Africa, Latin America, Canada, the UK, and most certainly here in the United States of America. This week alone, the United States has lost over 13,000 of our fellow Americans with more than 380,000 citizens infected. In that spirit, this week, we have a special daily segment titled Pastors, Politicos, and Pundits. All week, we have been having some courageous conversations, compassionate conversation and character building conversation about how this virus is changing our politics, our faith, our connections, and our families. Because when all is said and done, we are all in this together. My guest today is special to me as she is a real champion of justice here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Pastor Michelle Thomas is the senior pastor of Holy and Whole Ministries located in Loudoun County, Virginia. She is president of the Loudoun County chapter of the NAACP. She is a newly elected member of the Soil and Water Commission in Loudoun County, a wife, a mother of three, two sons and one daughter, and a superhero, if you didn't figure that out already. Pastor Michelle, welcome to the cast. How are you today? I am fantastic. How are you doing, Sophia? Thank you for all that you do. Well, I tell you what, uh, we all want to be you when we grow up. (laughs) (laughs) To God be the glory, right? Uh, I mean, girl, every time I think you do one thing, I pick up the paper and you're doing something else. And I'm like, I thought I was the Energizer Bunny. I don't know where she gets her energy from. Well, some of that is honestly um, a part of who I am biologically, right? So I'm the daughter of Jamaican immigrants. We work very, very hard, Amen. right? So, Amen. you know, you, uh, seven jobs is nothing, right? So, <laughs> Um, but a lot of what I do is birth out of necessity, like a right now in time problem that must be resolved. And so I am, uh, I guess God has me marrying the prophetic um, with also a, a, a mandate to solve social ills. And so, um, you know, that's why I have so many jobs. There's so much to be done. Well, before I get to this interview, which I'm looking forward to, Pastor, tell me a little bit about um, your thoughts on where we find ourselves right now as a country in the middle of this global pandemic. How has it impacted your family, your friends, your ministry? Just let's talk a little bit about the virus and the fact that we're all sheltered in now here in Virginia for almost four weeks and we'll be sheltered in longer. Um, What do you think about this? Honestly, uh, you know, I like we said, I wear many hats. So my pastor hat says, um, God has us all in time out. If you look mm-hmm. at this, come on, Sophia. Um, you know, we are engaged in a warfare of such where we are fighting this COVID-19 virus and there's no immunity. So, you know, people don't have it. We don't have uh, what we need to fight this thing off. There's no vaccine for it. 
Um, there's so many different unknowns and we're fighting that thing that we cannot see. And so when we are fighting the thing that we cannot see, it requires something else that move, moves and operates in a realm that is of the unseen. Mm-hmm. And so for Christians, that is the Holy Spirit, right? Mm-hmm. So I am unafraid as a person because I know that the Holy Spirit can manage those things which I cannot. That Jesus, God himself will protect us through his Holy Spirit that will guide us and say where you need to go and what you need to do. And so I'm comforted by that, but those are all fundamentals of my faith. For a person that doesn't have faith, all hell has broken loose. Let's just be clear. Um, You know, for a person that doesn't have faith, um, the churches are closed. So the place where you're supposed to turn to in times of crisis, in the times of calamity, you can't even get in because they are closed, right? Um, as a as a mother that has to take care of my two kids that are still here with me, um, these babies have to eat 24-7, Sophia. They don't <laughs> stop eating. You know, I got to right? tell you what, Facebook is hilarious. All you parents see us still single women with no children, us professional aunts with no kids that cause pranks. Uh, we don't have to worry about being eaten out of house and home, but I'm looking at the post and y'all are killing me with the kids eating and drinking the milk post. It's hilarious. Everything. They eat everything. I'm surprised my table still have legs. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Sophia, no, this is so serious. We take for granted how much the schools do for us. So besides, besides educating our children, they provide opportunities of outlet. They feed our kids for breakfast and lunch. And so we miss that. But if you have to feed these guys breakfast and turn around and make lunch and turn around and make a dinner and they are hungry for snacks in between, I don't know how people deal with it. Yeah, it's real. There's no doubt about it. I remember when my nieces were babies, one's now a sophomore in college, the other graduates high school this June, we hope, you know, with all of this. But I I remember when I would keep them in the summer, girl, and that's just summer duty. And I would keep them. Yeah. And by the time two o'clock rolled around, I was like, wait a minute, they've had a bath, they've eaten twice, they gotta be changed again, and I'm still in my pajamas. I look crazy. Oh no, I can't do that. My grocery bill will exceed a thousand dollars. Are you month. serious? Yes, ma'am. My grocery bill will exceed a thousand dollars this month. And that is with us cooking. We're not eating yes. out. We are yes. cooking yes. every single meal, but they need it and they can't get outside. So, you know, sometimes a lot of that is nervous frustration where I've seen them open the fridge over and over again. But, you know, it's just, it's sad. And now imagine those people who already have some sort of food insecurity and how much more help they need so the whole world is just in a quandary imagine those people who are in um, abusive relationship domestic violence is a part of their lifestyles they're stuck and so what we have to do what america has to do is number one we have to uh have faith we're going to have to rediscover, get tapped in, you know, find our faith in this downtime, in this season. We're going to have to find our faith because we have to be assured that there's something greater than ourselves that will protect us all and provide for us all. 
Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, you mentioned domestic violence. Uh, you can read the news reports up 30, 40 percent in most major cities. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the things men losing their jobs, they get frustrated. They already were in relationships that were tenuous at best, unhealthy. And now you're sheltered in with your abuser. Your kids are subject. Uh, I'm going to have you talk a little bit about that at the end on, you know, how people can get help for those type of situations while we're dealing with this virus. But one of the things that I I really think is important in this moment, you know, uh, Pastor, you see on the news, particularly over the last few days, there's this big discussion about health disparities in the African-American community and how this virus is hitting the black community so much harder, particularly in places like Louisiana and Mm -hmm. in Michigan and New York and other places. And before we get into that discussion, I think it raises a bigger question, right? Before you can get to health disparities, you got to get to why that exists. Why do we Mm -hmm. have this disparity of health, of finances, et cetera? And you have done some amazing work here in Loudoun County, groundbreaking with the Slave Cemetery and and what you've done with the center, et cetera. And I want you to talk a little bit about why, because I believe they're linked. I believe from slavery to Jim Crow through now, when you go to certain places in our country, mostly in the deep South, rural areas, in the urban areas, you can see the economic deprivation that goes absolutely back to segregation and before that, before reconstruction. So tell us a little bit about what you've done with the slave cemetery here what prompted you to want to do that and 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 to work on it and you know just kind of walk us through your work with that and then we can tie it back into this conversation about the health disparities Sophia, you've asked me the perfect question. Um, So I I founded the Louder Freedom Center after doing a feasibility study and trying to build our church in Lansdowne. You know, um, there is uh, a a set-aside for a church here. And so we are literally trying to build this church and we're doing the feasibility study. And then I hit some exceptional background um, because our church is small, you know, we do big things, but our church membership is small. So that requires that the pastor wear more than one hat, which is added to my already 37 hats. <laughs> and so one, <laughs> so one of the hats that I wear is I'm an engineer. I, I uh, graduated from Duke, uh, electrical engineering. So I was able to do this background feasibility study that will tell me if this particular land that we have um, under contract will be a great place to build. I came out with a yes, right? Except for all of this historical background um, that just kept popping up. I couldn't ignore the fact that Lansdowne was a former slave plantation. And so one of the things that I wanted to do since we're going to build a church is make sure that our church is not going to be built on any slave burials. And so I began my research that led me across the street to the adjoining plantation, which um, is the Belmont Country Club. But before that, it was the Belmont Plantation. Um, And then I began to find where the enslaved were buried from both plantations. So you had no idea when you set out that that was the case? 
No, I did. I had a little okay. bit of idea. Okay. Um, uh, so in Lansdowne, when I purchased in 2004, um, they uh, they had in the trailer at that time, they had a, um, a, a, a sort of exhibit, little small exhibit. It seemed very benign, but it did say something about the Colton Plantation. And so at that time, my girlfriend, April Jones and I, we were buying at the same time. I looked over to her and say, girl, we're about to buy 40 acres in a <laughs> and then all of a sudden, yeah, right. So all of that was cute. But then all of a sudden, Sophia, we just got eclipsed by living in Lansdowne, like the pool and the schools and we're having kids and we forgot all about it. We just put it on the back burner until I started to investigate how to build this church. Well, when we tied that connection, I said, oh yeah, I do remember this was a slave plantation. Now it became real. Where were the slaves? Who were the slaves? Where were they buried? And who were their ancestors? And so in 2015, those were the questions that I sought to answer. I ended up um, negotiating with Toll Brothers um, and we it, it wasn't a clean negotiation, let's be clear. Um, it was a pressing negotiation that ended up in court. Eventually, um, they were able, the Toll Brothers was able to deed over the slave, former slave plantation wow. to me and then I began really an in-depth research of really trying to find out who these people were and so I have uh, discovered or rediscovered about 99 names of enslaved people that uh, were enslaved either at Coton Plantation or Belmont Plantation. Mm, wow. Now, now let's be clear these plantations are owned by uh, the Lee family. So the original founders of and the signers of the Declaration of Independence, which is Richard Henry sure. Lee and his brother Francis Lightfoot Lee. Yep. These these are their plantations right. that I own a piece of now. So um, one of the things that you I, one of the things that I noticed when I first went to the cemetery for the first time, I noticed how small the graves were, and you would think. Um, Sophia, that these were the graves of children, like modern day children, but these are full adults. And so uh, I started to think, why are they so small? I mean, they are denoted by, some of the graves are denoted by headstones and, field, uh, and, and footstones. So the field markers mark the head of the grave and the foot of the grave. So you know exactly how large that space is and I'm telling you it's like a most of the adults look like maybe about 10 or 12 year old child today's modern 10 or 12 year old child and so it was fascinating to me and fast forward a couple of years um, I was able to partner with the Loudoun County Public Schools uh, give them some of my research update the way that they are teaching African-American history and using the local history um, to really explain the African-American um, experience and phenomenon. Well, the coolest thing about that is we get to start in fourth grade. Fourth grade is where um, Loudoun students begin to get educated for the first time in regards to the uh, slave experience, right? So the period of enslavement. And so um, we have uh, negotiated to have students go on a educational tour, a field trip to the African-American burial ground for the slaves at, uh, for the enslaved at Belmont. 
And so it is so cool because I get to discuss things with these children, things that they're learning now about their diet. I get to discuss with them in a project-based learning way of the diet back then and the diet today. So the diet that kids learn about today is basically following this uh, pyramid, this five pyramid scheme. You're familiar with it, right? Mm -hmm. So you need dairy and you need milk and you need um, grains and so protein and so all of these things. And so we look at what is needed today and what was provided in the day of enslavement. And I'm telling you, nothing, the nutritional value that the enslaved people got was just nil. Um, they were often malnourished yes. and undernourished. And, and so that's right? a great segue to connect the dots. So to the listening audience listening, um, I have an uh, interview coming up on Good Friday that you're going to love. And um, it is, we talk about this from the perspective and the lens of a pastor who is a white man. Who one of the things that he says is he realizes now what he did not learn, what they did not teach him in school and uh first i want to applaud you uh pastor michelle for fourth grade because i think that's a great age for them to to be able to comprehend and you know they're curious and they're learning but when you talk to some of our white brothers and sisters and and i think this is just true across the board particularly if they are gen xers uh baby boomers and older they have no clue about most of this which is quite frightening because the education that they got I think particularly here in places in the South, like Virginia, everybody thinks that slavery was Williamsburg. The slaves are dressed nice. You know, they're walking around, they're having conversation. You know, you go to these plantations, you go to Monticello, uh, who mm -hmm. has done a very good job now uh, with the Sally Hemings exhibit and otherwise of finally telling the true story. You go to Montpelier, other places, uh, you know, yes, they've, they've upgraded it now, but for decades and centuries, no one understood what you're saying now that slaves were malnourished they were physically mm -hmm. abused there was emotional mm -hmm. abuse separated from your family working 16 hour days sleeping on a mm -hmm. floor not even proper mm -hmm. shoes on your feet or clothing in the winter time i don't know how they endured i ask myself that often but the question i want to segue to is given this backdrop of what you studied in your feasibility study what you've learned about slavery just here in the Northern Virginia region, and you make a great link. You know, I wrote a book about this two years ago about the founding fathers. And the reality mm -hmm. is, is that slavery is our great birth defect. It is our great to me um, sin of origin that a nation that prided itself on freeing itself from an oppressive king, a tyrannical king that wanted their own liberty and their own equality ripped that liberty and equality from other human beings for 250 plus years legally until we get to 100 years of segregation and Jim Crow. So with that backdrop, talk to me about how we fast forward to why we see more African-American deaths uh, with this virus. And, and now we're starting to talk about health disparities. How do they connect? Okay, so you have a group of people who have survived on a diet made from scraps, right? So they're undernourished. They're not getting, um, if they're eating pork, they're not getting the pork chop, they're getting the um, intestine, right? So they're not getting um, a pork shoulder, they're getting a hog maw, 
you know, um, they're getting the foot, the hoof, they're getting the fattier part of the bacon, right? And so our five food groups, just as kids, kids learn that you gotta have grains, you gotta have vegetables, you gotta have fruit, you have to have uh, calcium from dairy and you have to have meat and protein, right? So you tell me which part of that diet, right? Um, of, of scraps for the enslaved um, that is gonna be healthy enough to provide them to the to nutrition to sustain their harsh work environment. So I just don't need a regular diet. I need a diet that could feed me with the energy right um that will sustain this work condition fast forward that to today you have people who have grown up on this malnutrition diet this diet of scraps still enjoying it because we made the scrap taste good you add salt to it you add sugar to it you fry it up and drench it with some cheese. So let, let me stop you <laughs> there. Let me stop you there because you're saying something powerful and I don't want folks to miss it. Listen to what the pastor's saying. She's explaining to you that one, there is a historical context of how we began to eat as black people dating back to slavery. And it's sure. true. You go to grandmom's house, big mama's house. You've all seen soul food. If you haven't, you should watch it. Every Sunday, or even particularly, you go down to Deep South. I have a house down in Charleston, South Carolina. And when we go in the summer times, when you get your breakfast, you just don't get a normal breakfast with some eggs and bacon or whatever, or some fruit. They got honey biscuits with drizzled honey and and grits and soaked in butter and everything. Like you said, is extra buttery, sugary, rich, yeah. and carbohydrate. So what the pastor's saying is, folks, this is important. You go from slavery through Jim Crow, people are economically deprived. They don't have enough money. So what happens, Pastor, when people don't have enough money? What do they buy? Carbs, right? They, they buy carbs and the cheapest meat that they can yes, buy. Yes, they don't buy. You know, you go to Whole Foods, Whole Paycheck, as I like to say. You go to Whole Foods and get two bags of groceries. And I've done this and I've dropped $100. I go to Giant and get five bags of groceries for $100. So sure. her point is, folks, because this is important, because I want to get to a couple other things before we wrap this up, is that there is a connection. Don't just get caught up in the moment we're in right now and say, and I noticed from the president of the United States on down yesterday when Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks were talking about this uh, with the health disparities, as the reporters were asking, the president and others, you could tell, were astounded. Like, I don't know why this is happening. We're going to have mm -hmm. to study. We can tell them why it's happening. Right. Right. It's all related to diet. And so out of these, this overabundance of salt and sugar and fat and oils that provided us, right, freedom and comfort through eating, we have developed this style that also create this lifestyle that is unhealthy, this yep. lifestyle that's going to lead to high blood pressure, hypertension, diabetes. it's going to lead to diabetes, it's going to yep. lead to strokes, heart yep. attacks, yep. heart hardening of all arteries. And so this what is what is making the African American, our diet, our Food pathology is what is allowing us and what is making us targets uh, for this COVID-19. That's it in a nutshell. Like I said, I'm going to just drop the White House a note, tell them they need to bring you on up there and you can explain <laughs> all this to them real well because it, it's not even complicated. Yes, there are physiological and there are 
uh, other things that lend themselves to whose body's more vulnerable, who's more susceptible. But I want everybody listening to me to get this, particularly our African-American brothers and sisters, because I know that a lot of African-Americans listen to this podcast every week. And I want you to be clear. You got to stop eating the garbage. You have to treat your body better. You have to have some leafy green vegetables. You need fiber. You need nutrients. You need to, to put down the sugary sodas and the Kool-Aid and all the stuff that all of us grew up loving. You know, I would love to eat that stuff all the time too, but then I wouldn't have the figure I have and look the way I do. You got to work at that stuff. You got to exercise. You got to move. You have mm-hmm. to. Uh, and I think particularly pastor right now, people are very vulnerable because they're at home sitting and they're eating and they're watching TV because sure. they're sheltered in. Um, before we, uh, I want to give you some time to talk about the word a little bit, but one of the things I wanted to ask about was um, how you see the church writ large, but you can make it, you know, micro here, is how is this virus and the fact that people can't go to church, as you mentioned at the outset anymore, the physical bill, how has that changed your ministry? And how do you think that's going to change how we do church once we come out of this? It has only enhanced it. To be honest with you, church is a human phenomenon. It's not a God thing, right? So God doesn't need a building to do his healing. He doesn't need a building to do his delivering. He doesn't need a building to do anything that God does. Human needs a building. Uh, They need a a space where they can meet, a space where they can congregate, um, provide all the services that the church provides. However, our foundation, our scripture, our knowledge and understanding of who God is and what he can do in our lives does not require a building. And so now churches are are moving past programs because I got to be honest with you, you know, big churches and many churches have just become program rich and God small. Yeah. Yeah. That's real. That's a good word there. Yeah. They've become program rich and God poor. And so, uh, and so now that we are all lunched on online and we can't do any of these programs that often is a distraction, um, from teaching the word of God, not as much as an enhancement, we got to go back to the basics. And so actually this is a good thing because it's resetting the church to go back to the basics. If we're online, we don't have but a short amount of time to capture people's attention. We must tell them those things that are the most important. And guess what? The most thing that's important is not bingo. That's not the most important. (laughs) You crazy. Right? Yeah, the most important thing is the message of the gospel. So let's talk about that. Um, I, I like that you said it's enhanced it. Uh, I mm-hmm. think that a lot of ministries were caught flat-footed, particularly if they were small and they were older. And, you know, you mm-hmm. got some of our deep Southern small Baptist churches, et cetera, that they just have, they've shunned the technology, right? The old fire and brimstone preachers, whole different ballgame. Sure. So they've had to change. But let's segue that into this last segment of the podcast. And I want to give you a few minutes to really, this is Holy Week, as I mentioned at the outset. Easter Sunday is coming up. You have Wednesday Wisdom Give us a little bit of wisdom today, uh, Pastor. Give us a good word in the middle of all this death. I mean, the death toll, 2,000 some people died in one day yesterday in this country. Um, Give us some some wisdom and some hope in this 
important week where we will not be able to go to church on Sunday as usual and look our Easter best and you know mm-hmm. mom's upset because she can't make ham and black eyed peas and all the stuff she normally does because we can't have anybody over and just give us a little bit of a uh, hope and wisdom and what's this what's this holy week all about holy week um is actually the week leading up to our savior's death right so and and um and actually it's not leading up to our savior's death it's leading up to the resurrection but it, there's a big piece that happens on friday right good friday mm-hmm. so uh it is what jesus had to go through and his steps were many his steps included a court trial that was not fair and was not just so for all of those people that are stuck in circumstances that are that doesn't seem fair that seems as if there's no justice in the legal system Jesus been through that. He was, you know, he had to go through that. Um, He had to go through betrayal, um, betrayal of his inner court, betrayal of his Judas, which actually spawned him into his purpose. And so for those people who are feeling betrayed, uh, maybe your company has had to let you go. Maybe uh, your friends and your family who always said that they'll have your back and be supportive, supportive, haven't supported you in the Mm -hmm. way that you've need to be supported during this time but one thing about it God has already Jesus has already gone through those things so we we know that we can survive it because he survived it and so he had to go through betrayal he had to go through um his his people uh, being around him, not being prepared. And I don't know about you, but the church has been caught with their mouthpiece knocked out. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, be honest, you know, we, as a pastor, I am tasked to continue to share the gospel, but we weren't ready to go online and we right. weren't ready to right. do, you know, Zoom and all of that. We weren't ready and we don't even have the manpower, but I'm telling you just as sure as Jesus disciples prepared themselves after you know Christ's crucifixion your people will come up to speed too right Amen. and so so every single day he had Jesus had a different challenge that he rose and he met the challenge so that we could understand that whatever challenge we face in our lives we're going to rise and meet it and then we get down to Friday Friday is the day of all days that's the day in which Jesus lowers himself he has the right and he has the the opportunity um, to get out of of his task Yet he stays on purpose and subjects himself to be crucified. Why? Not for him, but for us. He died for us. And so he gets on this cross. He allows himself to be nailed to the cross. And there's somebody that's listening to this podcast that seems as if you are being crucified. The fact that you have to now go to a food bank to try to feed your family. The fact that you are out of money and out of your wits end. The fact that you are trying to, you know, still hold down a job and and homeschool your child. It feels like you're being crucified. It feels like the world is being crucified. It feels like our first responders, our nurses are being crucified. They're operating on purpose, but they don't have PPE. Mm -hmm. And so in this moment where we feel crucified, we need to know that God was, Jesus was crucified for us so that we can have not this life, but eternal life. Amen. In other words, it doesn't stop here. 
It didn't stop here. And I know COVID-19 has stopped the world for a period of time, but we have to keep pushing with our faith, keep believing in our everlasting God, knowing that God got up on that third day. Yes, he was crucified. Yes, we are being crucified. But on that third day, I don't know when that third day was. You know, theologian says, you know, it happened on a Saturday and it wasn't really a Sunday. And so you can argue that you can argue about your third day. But I'm telling you, America is going to have, hallelujah, a third day. We're going to have a third day. We're going to have a third day. And on that Mm -hmm. third day, just like Jesus, we're going to get up. We're going to get up with all power and all authority that he has given us to go forward and do better and be better. I tell you what, folks, if that's not a Wednesday wisdom word, I don't know what is. America is going to have a third day. I may call that the title of this podcast because that's a good word there, Pastor Michelle. Yes, ma'am. And I um, I just want to take this opportunity on behalf of all the people I know here in Loudoun County. You have many fans. Other pastors look to you. Uh, you know, I've had conversations with my pastor, Charlie Whitlow, who you know well, and he's just in all of what you constantly do and I think you you make them step up their game and I love that because you're a black woman in a county uh that you know hasn't historically elevated black women and people of color and you know you uh chairwoman Phyllis Randall and we got some amazing sisters in this county and it's 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 exciting to have others who look to you and think wow you know i need to step up my game because she's really doing it and we need to be doing some of that so i want to thank you for coming on with us we'll have you back again and we can talk about other issues with the naacp some topics some racial justice here uh in the commonwealth and i want to thank you for the work that you did uh with others in light of Uh, what happened with our governor last year and the lieutenant governor and the uh, attorney general and and holding their feet to the fire and creating a dialogue about african-american issues not not just letting them say okay we forgive you and we're gonna let you stay and remain but no you're gonna do some work and you're gonna learn and that is a really good formula for what i think we the people need to do from the president all the way down we need to start holding some people's feet to the fire And uh, I thank you for what you do. I'm praying for your husband, who I know is on the front lines and out there every day. Let's keep him safe. Uh, Don't let the kids eat you out of house and home. Uh, (laughs) You can come hide out over here. I'll put you in the basement if you need a place to hide. Uh, (laughs) But thank you for what you do, sister. And God bless and happy Easter to you. God bless. Sophia, I want to just um, remind people, we had talked a little bit about um, that slavery path and that Eden path. Um, I want to just remind people as we continue to cast off the shackles of slavery, um, in order to break a slave mentality, or if you're going to break your slave mentality, you also have to break that slave diet. Yes. Amen. That's good. We have to be free. Let me ask you just as we end and and we're over, but that's okay. Um, Where can people find you and how can they support the work you do in your ministry financially or otherwise if they want to? Okay, fantastic. If you want to support the work that we do in our church, our church is Holy and Whole Life Changing Ministries. Um, We normally would meet at Riverside High School in Lansdowne. We are meeting online like everybody else. So holyandwhole.org, H-O-L-Y. 
A-N-D-W-H-O-L-E.org. Um, you can also find me on Facebook. Um, so Pastor Michelle C. Thomas on Facebook. Uh, we have a Zoom channel. Um, you know, I'm, I'm accessible. I'm easy to find, okay. right? And also, if you have social justice issues, I'm the president of the NAACP. You can find them on Facebook or NAACPLoudon.org. Well, that's a lot. Folks, she is accessible. I can promise you she will hit you back when she gets a message. She'll pick up the phone and call you. She'll text you. She'll email you. But please consider supporting her ministry. All the pastors that I have on this week, I want to make sure they get a chance to shout out because the church is doing more now with less. Uh, And when people don't come physically in in hard financial times, God is the first one that doesn't get his cut. That's the way people work. So let's remember to sow into these ministries, sow into these churches that are trying to feed people, help people, protect people from all kind of problems, and also keep them encouraged. So you Pastor are welcome. Michelle, thank you again, God my sister. God bless you. God keep bless doing you. it. All right. God bless you.